The Murder at the Vicarage by Agatha Christie, Chapter 16 As I went out, I ran into Haydock on the doorstep. He glanced sharply after Slack, who was just passing through the gate, and demanded, Has he been questioning her? Yes. He's been civil, I hope. Civility, to my mind, is an art which Inspector Slack has never learnt, but I presumed that, according to his own lights, civil he had been. And anyway, I didn't want to upset Haydock any further. He was looking worried and upset as it was. So I said he had been quite civil. Haydock nodded and passed on into the house, and I went down the village street, where I soon caught up with the inspector. I fancy he was walking slowly on purpose. Much as he dislikes me, he's not the man to let dislike stand in the way of acquiring any useful information. Do you know anything about the lady? he asked me point blank. I said I knew nothing whatsoever. She's never said anything about why she came here to live? No. Yet you go and see her? It is one of my duties to call on my parishioners, I replied, evading to remark that I had been sent for. Hmm, I suppose it is. He was silent for a minute or two, and then, unable to resist discussing his recent failure, he went on. Fishy business it looks to me. You think so? If you ask me, I say blackmail. Seems funny, when you think of Colonel Prothero was always supposed to be. But there, you never can tell. He wouldn't be the first church warden who'd led a double life. Faint remembrances of Miss Marple's remarks on the same subject floated through my mind. You really think that's likely? Well, it fits the facts, sir. Why did a smart, well-dressed lady come down to this quiet little hole? Why did she go and see him at the funny time of day? Why did she avoid seeing Mrs. and Miss Brotherow? Yes, it all hangs together. Awkward. For her to admit blackmail is a punishable offence, but we'll get the truth out of her. For all we know, it may have a very important bearing on the case. If Colonel Prothero had some guilty secret in his life, something disgraceful, well, you can see for yourself what our field opens up. I suppose it did. I've been trying to get the butler to talk. He might have overheard some of the conversation between Colonel Prothero and Lestrange. Butlers do sometimes. But he swears he hasn't the least idea of what the conversation was about. By the way, he got the sack for it. The Colonel went for him, being angry at his letting her in. The butler retorted by giving notice, said he didn't like the place anyway, and had been thinking of leaving for some time. Really? So that gives us another person who had a grudge against the Colonel. You don't seriously suspect the man. What's his name, by the way? His name's Reeves, and I don't say I do suspect him. What I say is, you never know. I don't like that soapy, oily manner of his. I wonder what Reeves would say of the inspector's manner. I'm going to question the chauffeur now. Perhaps then, I said, you'll give me a lift in your car. I want a short interview with Mrs. Prothero. What about? The funeral arrangements. Oh, Inspector Slack was slightly taken aback. The inquest's tomorrow, uh, Saturday. Just so. The funeral will probably be arranged for Tuesday. Inspector Slack seemed to be a little ashamed of himself for his manner. He held out an olive branch in the shape of an invitation to be present at the interview with the chauffeur, Manning. Manning was a nice lad, not more than twenty-five or twenty-six years of age. He was inclined to be awed by the inspector. Now then, my lad, said Slack, I want a little information from you. Yes, sir, stammered the chauffeur. Certainly, sir. If he had committed the murder himself, 
could not have been more alarmed. You took your master to the village yesterday? Yes, sir. And what time was that? 5.30. Mrs. Petherow went to? Yes, sir. You went straight to the village? Yes, sir. You didn't stop anywhere on the way? No, sir. And what did you do when you got there? The colonel got out and told me he wouldn't want the car again. He'd walk home. Mrs. Petherow had some shopping to do. The parcels were put in the car, then she said that was all, and I drove home. Leaving her in the village? Yes, sir. And what time was that? Quarter past six, sir. Quarter past exactly. And where did you leave her? By the church, sir. Had the colonel mentioned at all where he was going? He said something about having to see the vet? Something to do with one of the horses? I see. And you drove straight back here? Yes, sir. There are two entrances to Old Hall, by the South Lodge and by the North Lodge. I take it that going to the village you would go by the South Lodge? Yes, sir, always. And you came back the same way? Yes, sir. Hmm. I think that's all. Ah, here's Miss Petherow. Lettuce drifted towards us. I want the fee at Manning, she said. Start her for me, will you? Very good, miss. He went towards a two-seater and lifted the bonnet. Just a minute, Miss Petherow, said Slack. It's necessary that I should have a record of everybody's movements yesterday afternoon. No offence meant. Lettuce stared at him. I never know the time of anything, she said. I understand you went out soon after lunch yesterday? She nodded. Where to, please? To play tennis. Who with? The Hartley Napiers. At Much Benham. Yes. And you returned? I don't know. I tell you I never know these things. You returned, I said, about 7.30? That's right, said Lettuce, in the middle of the chamozzle Anne having Fitz and Griselda supporting her. Thank you, miss, said the inspector. That's all I want to know. How queer, said Lettuce. It seems so uninteresting. She moved towards the fiat. The inspector touched his forehead in a surreptitious manner. A bit wanting, he suggested. Not in the least, I said, but she likes to be thought so. Well, I'm off to question the maids now. One cannot really like Slack, but one can admire his energy. We parted company and I inquired of Reeves if I could see Mrs. Petherow. She's lying down, sir, at the moment. Then I'd better not disturb her. Perhaps if you would wait, sir, I know that Mrs. Petherow was just anxious to see you. She was saying as much at luncheon. He showed me into the drawing-room, switching on the electric light since the blinds were down. A very sad business, all this, I said. Yes, sir. His voice was cold and respectful. I looked at him. What feelings were at work under that impassive demeanour? Were there things that he knew and could not have told us? There is something so inhuman as the mask of a good servant. Is there anything more, sir? Was there just a hint of anxiety to be gone behind that correct expression? There's nothing more, I said. I had a very short time to wait before Anne Pretherow came to me. We discussed and settled a few arrangements and then... What a wonderfully kind man Dr Haydock is, she exclaimed. Haydock is the best fellow I know. He has been amazingly kind to me. But he looks very sad, doesn't he? It had never occurred to me to think of Haydock as sad. I turned the idea over in my mind. I don't think I've ever noticed it, I said at last. 
I never have until today. One's troubles sharpen one's eyes sometimes, I said. And that's very true. She paused and then said, Mr. Clement, there's one thing I absolutely cannot make out. If my husband was shot immediately after I left him, how was it that I didn't hear the shot? They have reason to believe that the shot was fired later, but the 620 on the note was possibly added by a different hand. The murderers, her cheek paled. It didn't strike you that the date was not in his handwriting. How horrible. None of it looked like his handwriting. There was some truth in this observation. It was a somewhat illegible scrawl not to be as precise as Prethero's writing usually was. You're sure they don't still suspect Lawrence? I think he's definitely cleared. But, Mr. Clement, who can it be? Lucius was not popular, I know, but I don't think he had any real enemies. Not, not that kind of enemy. I shook my head. It's a mystery. I thought wonderingly of Miss Marple's seven suspects. Who could they be? After I took leave of Anne, I proceeded to put a certain plan of mine into action. I returned from Old Hall by the way of the private path. When I reached the stile, I retraced my steps, and choosing a place where I fancied the undergrowth showed signs of being disturbed, I turned aside from the path and forced my way through the bushes. The wood was a thick one, with a good deal of tangled undergrowth. My progress was not very fast, and I suddenly became aware that someone else was moving against the bushes, not very far from me. As I paused, Lawrence Shredding came into sight. He was carrying a large stone. I suppose I must have looked surprised, for he suddenly burst out laughing. No, he said, it's not a clue, it's a peace offering. A peace offering? Well, a basis for negotiations, shall we say. I want an excuse for calling on your neighbour, Miss Marple, and I have been told there is nothing she likes so much as a nice bit of rock or stone for the Japanese gardens she makes. Quite true, I said, but what do you want with the old woman? Just this. If there was anything to be seen yesterday evening, Miss Marple saw it. I don't mean anything necessarily connected with the crime that she would think was connected to the crime. I mean some ultra or bizarre incident. Some simple little happening that might give us a clue to the truth. Something that she wouldn't think worthwhile mentioning to the police. It's possible, I suppose. It's worth trying anyhow, Clement. I'm going to get to the bottom of this business, for Anne's sake if nobody else, and I haven't too much confidence in Slack. He's a zealous fellow, but Seal can't really take the place of brains. I see, I said, that you are the favourite character of fiction, the amateur detective. I don't know that they really hold their own with the professionals in real life. He looked at me shrewdly and suddenly laughed. What are you doing in the wood, Padre? I had the grace to blush. Just as the same as I'm doing, I dare swear. We've got the same idea, haven't we? How did the murderer come to the study? First way along the lane and through the gate. Second way by the front door. The third way... Is there a third way? My idea was to see if there were any signs of the bushes being disturbed or broken anywhere near the wall of the vicarage garden. That was just my idea, I admitted. I hadn't really got down to the job, though, continued Lawrence, but it occurred to me that I'd like to see Miss Marple first, 
to make quite sure that no one did pass along the lane yesterday evening whilst we were in the studio. I shook my head. She was quite positive that nobody did. Yes, nobody whom she would call anybody. It sounds mad, but you see what I mean. But there must have been someone like a postman or a milkman or a butcher's boy. Someone whose presence would be so natural you wouldn't think of mentioning it. You've been reading G.K. Chesterton, I said, and Lawrence did not deny it. But don't you think there's just a possibility there's something in the idea? Well, I suppose there might be, I admitted. Without further ado, we made our way to Miss Marple's. She was working in the garden and called out to us as we climbed over the stile. You see, murmured Lawrence, she sees everybody. She received us very graciously and was much pleased with Lawrence's immense rock, which he presented with all due somnity. It's very thoughtful of you, Mr. Redding. Very thoughtful indeed. Emboldened by this, Lawrence embarked on his questions. Miss Marple listened attentively. Yes, I see what you mean, and I quite agree. It is the sort of thing that no one mentions or bothers to mention, but I can assure you there is nothing of that kind, nothing whatever. You are sure, Miss Marple? Quite sure. Did you see anyone go by the path into wood that afternoon, I asked, or come from it? Oh, yes, quite a number of people. Dr. Stone and Miss Cram went that way, as it's the nearest way to the barrow for them. That was a little after two o'clock, and Dr. Stone returned that way, as you know, Mr. Redding, since he joined you and Miss Pletherow. By the way, I said, that shot, the one you heard, Miss Marple, Mr. Redding and Miss Pletherow must have heard it too. I looked inquiringly at Lawrence. Yes, he said, frowning. I believe I did hear some shots. Weren't there one or two? I only heard one, said Miss Marple. It's only the vaguest impression on my mind, said Lawrence. Curse it all. I wish I could remember, if only I'd known. You see, I was so completely taken up with... with... He paused, embarrassed. I gave a tactful cough. Miss Marple, with a touch of prudishness, changed the subject. Inspector Slack had been trying to get me to say whether I heard the shot after Mr. Redding and Miss Pletherow had left the studio, or before. I have to confess that I really could not say definitely, but I have the impression which is growing stronger the more I think about it, that it was after. Then that lets the celebrated Dr. Stone out of the way, said Lawrence with a sigh. Not that there has ever been the slightest reason why he should be suspected of shooting poor old Pletherow. Ah, said Miss Marple, but I always find it prudent to suspect everybody just a little. What I say is you never really know, do you? This was typical of Miss Marple. I asked Lawrence if he agreed with her about the shot. I really can't say. You see, it was such an ordinary sound. I should be inclined to think that it had been fired when we were in the studio. The sound would have been deadened and one would have noticed it less there. For other reasons than the sound being deadened, I thought to myself, I must ask Anne, said Lawrence. She may remember. By the way, there seems to be one curious fact that needs explanation. Mrs. Lestrange, the mystery lady of St. Mary Mead, paid a visit to Old Pletherer after dinner on Wednesday night, and nobody seems to have any idea what it was all about. Old Pletherer said nothing to either his wife or Lettuce. Perhaps the vicar knows, said Miss Marple. Now how did the woman know that I had been to visit Mrs Lestrange that afternoon? The way she always knows things is uncanny. I shook my head. 
and I said I could throw no light upon the matter. What does Inspector Slack think? asked Miss Marple. He's done his best to bully the butler, but apparently the butler wasn't curious enough to listen at the door. So there it is. No one knows. I expect someone overheard something, don't you? said Miss Marple. I mean, somebody always does. I think that is where Mr. Redding might find out something. But Mrs. Prothero knows nothing. I didn't mean Anne Prothero, said Miss Marple. I meant the woman's servants. They do so hate telling anything to the police. But a nice-looking young man, you'll excuse me, Mr. Redding, and no one who has been unjustly suspected. Oh, I'm sure they tell him at once. I'll go and have a try this evening, said Lawrence with vigour. Thanks for the hint, Miss Marple. I'll go after, well, after a little job that the vicar and I are going to do. It occurred to me that we had better get on with it. I said goodbye to Miss Marple, and we entered the woods once more. First, we went up the path till we came to a new spot where it certainly looked as though someone had left the path on the right-hand side. Lawrence explained that he had already followed this particular trail around and found that it led nowhere, but he added we might as well try again. He might be wrong. It was, however, as he said. After about ten or twelve yards, any sign of broken and trampled leaves petered out. It was from this spot Lawrence had broken back towards the path to meet me earlier in the afternoon. We emerged on the path again and walked a little further along it. Again we came to a place where the bushes seemed disturbed. The signs were very slight, but I thought unmistakable. This time the trail was more promising. By a devious course, it wound steadily nearer to the vicarage. Presently, we arrived at where the bushes grew thickly up the wall. The wall is a high one, and ornamented with fragments of broken bottles on the top. If anyone had placed a ladder against it, we ought to find the traces of the passage. We were working our way slowly along the wall, when a sound came to our ears of a breaking twig. I pressed forward forcing my way through a thick tangle of shrubs, and came face to face with Inspector Slack. "'So it's you,' he said. "'And Mr. Redding. Now what do you think you two gentlemen are doing?' "'Slightly crestfallen,' we explained. "'Quite so,' said the Inspector. "'Not being the fools we usually thought to be, I have had the same idea myself. I've been here over an hour. Would you like to know something?' "'Yes,' I said meekly.' Whoever murdered Colonel Prothero didn't come this way to do it. There's not a sign either on this side of the wall, nor on the other. Whoever murdered Colonel Prothero came through the front door. There's no other way he could have come. Impossible, I cried. Why impossible? Your door stands open. Anyone's only got to walk in. They can't be seen from the kitchen. They know you're safely out of the way. They know Mrs Clement is in London. They know De Mr Dennis is at a tennis party. Simple as ABC. And they don't need to go or come through the village. Just opposite the vicarage gate is a public footpath, and from it you can turn into these same woods and come out whichever way you choose. Unless Mrs Price Ridley were to come out of her front gate at that particular minute, it's all clear sailing. A great deal more so than climbing over the walls. The side windows of the upper story of Mrs Price Ridley's house do overlook most of that wall. No, depend upon it, that's the way he came. It really seemed as though he might be right. Chapter 17 Inspector Slack came round to see me the following morning. He is, I think, thawing towards me. In time he may forget the incident of the clock. 
Well, sir, he greeted me. I traced that telephone call that you received. Indeed, I said eagerly. It's rather odd. It was put through from the north lodge of Old Hall. Now that lodge is empty. The lodge keepers have been pensioned off and the new lodge keepers aren't in yet. The place was empty and convenient. A window at the back was open. No fingerprints on the instrument itself. It has been wiped clear. Now that's suggestive. How do you mean? I mean that it shows that the call was put through deliberately to get you out of the way. Therefore, the murder was carefully planned in advance. If it had just been a harmless practical joke, the fingerprints wouldn't have been wiped off so carefully. No, I see that. It also shows that the murderer was well acquainted with the old hall and its surroundings. It wasn't Mrs. Prothero who put that call through. I've accounted for every moment of her time that afternoon. There are half a dozen servants who can swear that she was at home till 5.30. Then the car came round and drove Colonel Prothero and her to the village. The Colonel went to see Quinton, the vet, about one of the horses. Mrs. Prothero did some ordering at the grocer's and at the fish shop, and from there came straight down to the back lane where Miss Marple saw her. All the shops agree she carried no handbag with her. The old lady was right. She usually is, I said mildly. And Mrs. Prothero was over at Much Benham at 5.30. Quite so, I said. My nephew was there too. And that disposes of her. The maid seems all right, a bit hysterical and upset, but what can you expect? Of course I've got my eye on the butler, but what with giving notice and all, but I don't think he knows anything about it. Your inquiries seem to have had a rather negative result, Inspector. They do and they do not, sir. There's one very queer thing that's turned up quite unexpectedly, I might say. Yes? You remember the fuss that Mrs Price Ridley, who lives next door to you, was kicking up yesterday morning about being rung up on the telephone? Yes? Well, we traced the call just to calm her. And where on this earth do you think it was put through from? The call office, I hazarded. No, Mr Clement. That call was put through from Mr. Lawrence Redding's cottage. What? I exclaimed, surprised. Yes, a bit odd, isn't it? Mr. Redding had nothing to do with it. At that time, 6.30, he was on his way to the Blue Boar with Dr. Stone in full view of the village. But there it is. Suggestive, eh? Someone walked into that empty cottage and used the telephone. Who was it? That's two queer telephone calls in one day. It makes you think there's some connection between them. I'll eat my hat if they weren't both put through by the same person. But with what object? Well, that's what we've got to find out. There seems no particular point in the second one, but there must have been a point somewhere. And you see the significance. Mr. Redding's house used to telephone from, Mr. Redding's pistol, all throwing suspicion at Mr. Redding. It would be more to the point to have put through the first call from his house, I objected. Ah, but that's what I've been thinking about. What did Mr. Redding do most afternoons? He went up to Old Hall and painted Miss Prothero, and from his cottage he'd have to go on his motorcycle, passing through the north gate. Now you see the point of the call being put through from there. The murderer is someone who didn't know about the quarrel that Mr. Redding wasn't going up to Old Hall any more. I reflected a moment to let the inspector's points sink into my brain. They seemed to me logical and unavoidable. Were there any fingerprints on the receiver in Mr. Redding's cottage, I asked. There were not, said the inspector bitterly. That dreaded old woman who goes in and does for him has been and dusted them off yesterday morning. He reflected wrathfully for a few minutes. She's a stupid fool anyway. Can't remember when she saw the pistol last. It might have been there on the morning of the crime, or it might not. 
She couldn't say she's sure. They're all alike. Just as a matter of form, I went round to see Dr Stone, he went on. I must say, he was pleasant as he could be about it. He and Miss Cram went up to the mound or barrow or whatever you call it about half past two yesterday and stayed there all afternoon. Dr Stone came back alone and she came back later. He says he didn't hear any shot but admits he is absent-minded but it all bears about what we think. Only, I said, you haven't caught the murderer. Hmm, said the inspector. It was a woman's voice you heard through the telephone. In all probability a woman's voice Mrs Price Ridley heard too. If only that shot hadn't come hard on the close of the telephone call, well, I'd know where to look. Where? Ah, that's just where it's best not to say, sir. Unblushingly, I suggested a glass of old port. I have some very fine old vintage port. Eleven o'clock in the morning is not the usual time for drinking port, but I did not think that mattered with Inspector Slack. It was, of course, cruel abuse of the vintage port, but one must not be squeamish about these things. When Inspector Slack had polished off the second glass, he began to unbend and become genial. Such is the effect of that particular port. I don't suppose it matters with you, sir, he said. You'll keep it to yourself, not letting it get round the parish. I reassured him. Seeing as the whole thing happened in your house, it almost seems like you have a right to know. Just what I feel myself, I said. Well then, sir, what about the lady who called on Colonel Prethero the night before the murder? Mrs Lestrange, I cried, speaking rather loudly in my astonishment. The inspector threw me a reproachful glance. Not so loud, sir. Mrs Lestrange is the lady I've got my eye on. You remember what I told you? Blackmail. Hardly a reason for murder. Wouldn't it be a case of killing the ghosts that laid the golden eggs? That is, assuming your hypothesis is true, which I don't for a minute admit. The inspector winked at me in a common manner. Ah, she's just the kind the gentleman will always stand up for. Now look here, sir. Suppose she's successfully blackmailed the old gentleman in the past. After a lapse of years, she gets wind of him, comes down here and tries it on again. But, in the meantime, things have changed. The law is taken up a very different stand. Every facility is given nowadays to people prosecuting for blackmail. Names are not allowed to be reported in the press. Suppose Colonel Prothero turns round and says he'll give the law on her. She's in a nasty position. They give a very severe sentence for blackmail. The boot's on the other leg. The only thing to do to save herself is to put him out good and quick. I was silent. I had to admit that the case the inspector had built up was plausible. Only one thing to my mind made it inadmissible. The personality of Mrs Lestrange. I don't agree with you, inspector, I said. Mrs Lestrange doesn't seem to be, to me, to be a potential blackmailer. She's... Well, in an old-fashioned word, but she's a lady. He threw me a pitying glance. Ah, oh, well, sir, he said tolerantly. You're a clergyman. You don't know the half of what goes on, lady, indeed. You'd be surprised if you knew some of the things I know. I'm not referring to Miss social position. Anyway, I should imagine Mrs Lestrange should be de classe. What I mean is a question of personal refinement. You don't see her with the same eyes that I do, sir. I may be a man, but I'm a police officer too. They can't get over me with their personal refinement. Why, that woman is the kind who could stick a knife in you without turning a hair. Curiously enough, I could believe Mrs Lestrange guilty of murder much more easily than I could believe of her being capable of being a blackmailer. But of course, 
She can't have been telephoning to the old lady next door and shooting Colonel Prethero once at the same time, continued the inspector. Those words were hardly out of his mouth when he slapped his leg ferociously. Got it, he exclaimed. That's the point of the telephone call. Kind of an alibi. Knew we'd connect it with the first one. I'm going to look into this. She may have bribed some village lad to do the phoning for her. He'd never think of connecting it with murder. The inspector hurried off. Miss Marple wants to see you, said Griselda, putting her head in. She sent over a very incoherent note, all spidery and underlined. I couldn't read most of it. Apparently she can't leave home herself. Hurry up and go across and see her and find out what it is. I've got my old woman coming in two minutes or I'd come myself. I do hate old women. They tell you about their bad legs and sometimes insist on showing them to you. What luck for the inquest this afternoon. You don't have to go and watch the boys' cup cricket match. I hurried off, considerably exercised in my mind as to the reason for this summons. I found Miss Marple in what I believe is described as a fluster. She was very pink and slightly incoherent. My nephew, she explained. My nephew, uh, Raymond West, the author, he's, he's coming down today. Oh, such a to-do. I've had to see to everything myself. We cannot trust a maid to air a bed properly. And we must, of course, have meat meal tonight. Gentlemen require such a lot of meat, do they not? And drink. There certainly should be some drink in the house, and, and a siphon. If I can do anything, I began. Oh, how very kind, but I did not mean that. There is plenty of time, really. He brings his own pipe and tobacco, I'm glad to say. I'm glad because it saves me from knowing what kind of cigarettes are right to buy, but rather sorry, too, because it takes so long for the smell to get out of the curtains. Of course, I open the window and shake them very early in the morning, but Raymond gets up very late. I, I think got writers often do. He writes very clever books, I believe, though people are not nearly so unpleasant as he makes out. Clever young men know so little of life, don't you think? Would you like me to bring him to dinner at the vicarage? I asked, still unable to gather why I had been summoned. Oh, no, thank you, said Miss Marple. It's very kind of you, she added. There was a... Something you wanted to see me about, I think, I suggested desperately. Oh, of course. In all the excitement, it had gone right out of my head. She broke off and called her maid. Emily! Emily, not those sheets. The frilled ones with the monogram. Don't put them too near the fire. She closed the door and returned to me on tiptoe. It's just rather a curious thing that happened last night, she explained. I thought you would like to hear about it. "'though at the moment it doesn't seem to make sense. "'I felt very wakeful last night, "'wondering about all this sad business, "'and I got up and looked out of my window, "'and, and what do you think I saw?' "'I looked, inquiring. "'Gladys Cram,' said Miss Marple with great emphasis. "'As I live, going into the wood with a suitcase.' "'A suitcase? "'Isn't it extraordinary? "'What would she want with a suitcase in the wood at twelve o'clock at night?' You see, said Miss Marple, I dare say it has nothing to do with the murder, but it is a peculiar thing, and just at present we all feel we must take notice of peculiar things. Perfectly amazing, I said. Was she going to sleep in the barrow by any chance? She didn't at any rate, said Miss Marple, because quite a short time afterwards she came back, and she hadn't got the suitcase with her.